think about our lives and we go through it and everybody's got this. If you look at the thing that you're the, you consider yourself in your life, what you've been best at in your entire life. Think about when you started doing that, that whatever that is, you were not confident like you are now. I mean, confidence is learned. And I remember um, when I was studying this stuff with Bob, he has a whole thing on confidence. And I met this guy, Brian Tracy, and he had this self-confidence tapes and everything. I listened to all the tapes. I didn't understand it. I was like, why am I? I'm listening to these tapes. I'm not getting confident. And what, what I found was, is that you just have to get better at whatever it is you're trying to be confident at, and the confidence will come. Welcome to the We Are Photographers podcast from Creative Live. I'm your host, Kenna Klosterman, bringing you true stories from behind the lens and behind the lives of your favorite photographers, filmmakers, and creative industry game changers. From their struggles to their wins, we get the real human stories about why they do what they do. I believe there is something to learn from everyone's story. Listen, get inspired, and discover why in the end, your creative journey is all worth it. Peter Hurley is a portrait and headshot photographer, also known as the Headshot King, based on his trademark squinch. He's a coach, educator, TEDx speaker, and the founder of the Headshot Crew, the world's largest network of portrait and headshot photographers with over 16,000 incredibly supportive members. He's a canon explorer of light and author of the bestseller, you guessed it, The Headshot. Peter and I originally recorded this episode live on creativelive.com slash TV, which is our new live stream to inspire, entertain, and connect us all during these quarantine times. I'm grateful for Peter being his vulnerable and sensitive self, yet always packing it in with the dose of humor and of course, shebangs. Shebangs! Everybody with me now. Shebang! This is We Are Photographers with Peter Hurley, and this is his story. Peter Hurley, thank you so much for being with us today. Thanks, Kenna. Oh my gosh, I'm so psyched you asked me to do it. I was like, we don't have anything to do. Let's do this. This is cool. (laughs) So um, first of all, you're in New York City, and I want to just acknowledge that and uh, hope that you and your family uh, and your loved ones are are doing well. Um, How, I mean, New York is one of the hardest hit spots right now. So how are you doing? Yeah, it's been a, it's been challenging. I was actually debating whether I, I still sail. So I had a world championship in, in Melbourne, Australia, and it was in, in set for March. And I was like, I'm going, I'm just going. And it was like right at the beginning of March. And my wife's like, are you crazy? You shouldn't go. And I was like, I gotta go. I bought a boat. There's a boat down there. There's two regattas. I'm teaching two workshops. I gotta go. I'm going. I jumped on the plane. I got down there and I was there for about two days when they canceled the world championship. And I was like, oh my gosh. So then uh, we got a little bit of sailing in. Long story short, I, I bailed on that. There was a little bit of a regatta. They, I left a day early once um, the president shut down the, sh- the flights from Europe. I was worried he was going to shut down the country. So I was like, I got to get back in. So when I came back in, I self-quarantined in my studio for, and the plan was to stay here for two weeks. Mostly I, I was sick. I wasn't sick. Like, I don't know if I had it or not. I don't, I don't know. I got tested and it was negative, but it took, um, I got tested on my like 12th day 
and it took four days, three to four days for the results. And I didn't want to go back home because I live with my mother-in-law and she's 76 and she's frail. So I was like, there's no way I'm going to be held responsible for anything ever happening to her. So I was just here being safe. And, you know, my family was safe in the in the apartment and we've been fine. And and I'm three minutes away. So I go when I go out, I go with my N95 mask and, and my gloves and, and I'm careful. And we're just doing everything to make sure this thing doesn't spread. And I hope everybody listening is doing the same. Absolutely. Um, so I've been watching your journey uh, from heading over to Australia. Uh, you just turned 50. Yep. <laughs> and you have been training uh, to for this month that you are going to do there and the regatta. Uh, and so I, I kind of associate that with the fact that you are very goal oriented uh, and um, have been doing something called wake up and goals. So uh, t- talk to me about what it meant to you to sort of be preparing yourself physically and mentally uh, for this challenge, like as you turn 50. So this was the deal. I knew the world championship was coming. I'm a big goal setter. So I believe, so I trained for the Olympics and we had, um, a sports psychologist that was where this is my first indication that I was a goal setter. I was like, this guy was like, I was at the 1995 world championship. I'd never been, it was my first world championship. And I was slated to get like, if I was lucky to get top half, I get top half going to the last race. I was in eighth place. I was working with the sports psychologist during that event. And we worked on goal setting and visualization. And then I finished my Olympic training and I met this guy, Bob Proctor, who's all into goals and stuff. And we became friends and I, and I started my photography business based on his principles. So I've always been big on setting big goals for myself and trying to achieve them. I think if you, I mean, if you don't, if you don't have something that lights a fire under your butt, what are you doing? So I happen to love sailing. I love photography. All my goals are based on like trying to live a cool life. And I think those are the coolest things that I can do. Um, plus hang out with my kids and my wife, which is, which is tough when you're traveling all over the world and stuff. But, but, um, you know, it's, it's when the world championship was in Australia, like my, I feel so fortunate that I have gotten a worldwide following thanks to things like creative live, uh, which put me all over the world, which was amazing. So I really have to thank you guys. It allowed me to touch people in Australia and to fill up workshops down there and then to go sail and teach and do the thing I love. So I feel really fortunate. So, um, I was a little heavy in going into for the boat. I want to weigh 185 was the goal, uh, at the world championships. And I usually live around 200, I guess is what I usually weigh or around 195, I guess lately. But, um, I, so January 1st, I did this fitness challenge with the headshot crew. So anyway, I get to Australia and I'm about 190 with about 10 days, about a, a little over a week left to the regatta. I was like, I'll get to 185, no problem. And they canceled the world championship. And I had been dieting and working so hard at it that I immediately went for the carbs. I went for the beers. I went for the fries. I went for the chicken fried chicken sandwich on the bun. I was eating the ice cream. And now I gained like, now I'm like 210. I was 190. I would have been one, I was like 193 there. I was one, I got down to 190 
And now I'm 210. I gained like 20 pounds on this just during this whole debacle. So I decided I came back and I hadn't shaved. I shaved before I got on the plane and I haven't shaved since. So I decided until I'm back to at least 195, I'm not shaving. Well, there you go. There's a, there's a, there's a way to, to set your goals, right? There's I want to, I want to dive further. I want to dive further into, uh, Bob Proctor, who you call your mentor, the law of attraction. You know, I've, I've heard you talk about it as, you know, all this, you don't use the word woo, but, um, some people might, but yet like it's your thing. Um, so when did you, I mean, you talked about when, but how has that played an important role in your life? Is there something else that you would never have achieved if it weren't for sort of this mindset that you have? None of it. I don't think any of it. Like, I think that that was, I think that uh, Bob talks about people being what is an unconscious competent. So unconsciously I was doing stuff all my life, but I wasn't aware of why. Are you catching that? We're in New York. That's all good. <laughs> um, and unconscious competence. So basically you're unconsciously doing things that your life's going along great. You're accomplishing goals. Things are happening, but you're not aware of how it actually happened. And then Bob just put out a, uh, set up his system is like, like the, his ideas and the things he teaches and the principles are so in sync with the way I was thinking. And I just didn't know. And then I knew, and then I was like, wow, this is cool. And then it's work in progress. So it's like, you're, oh, I'm always working on it. It doesn't stop. You always, what happens is, is that when you, once you achieve something, you need a new goal. And a lot of people don't make the new goal after they achieve something. And then they're just on like a hamster wheel in a comfort zone. And I try to always push myself out of it. Um, and I try to keep myself accountable by going on, um, Instagram in the morning and saying my goals or coming on things like this and saying what I'm doing, because I think accountability is huge. And I use the headshot crew to keep me accountable. Um, and I think that I don't think there's anything that's influenced my career more than, uh, or my life more than the principles that Bob had taught me. And I think that, yes, it's a little bit law of attraction and, and stuff like that. And some people think that's foo-foo or whatever, but I think it's, I think you can find people that say the same exact thing in a very practical way for you. It depends who you resonate with. Like I happen to really like listening to Bob and, and we are friends and I've done a bunch of videos with him and I've spoken on stages with him um, cause he's invited me, which is amazing. So, uh, and he gave me a birthday wish for my 50th birthday, which was amazing. A video, uh, birthday wish. So thank you, Bob. Um, but, uh, if he, if he sees this or if somebody can tell, um, I don't speak to him that often anymore, but I think every single person, like we have mentors are great. Like people you look up to people who are doing the thing that you want to do that, you know, you can gain insight from is huge. I think that we, we crave that. And as photographers, we look at other people's work for that. And then, and then if you can actually get in touch with them, it's always amazing when, when somebody whose work you respect so much, like actually you can, you can see them working or you can ask them a question or something like that. I answer everything that comes into my Instagram. If people message me, I answer them. It's me. It's not anybody else. I'm doing it. Like I was getting like a hundred or more messages a day while I was in quarantine. And I was like, and then my friends would be mad. They'd be like, well, why didn't you answer? Why'd you just do one 
word. I was like, well, I do short answers because I have so many. I mean, I do, but I do answer. Talk to me about community. And again, you're, you, you are communicating with all these different people, but what have you seen for yourself? What have you learned from your headshot crew community? Oh my gosh. I learned so much from them. I think the people ask me stuff about, well, I think if I say, I look at my work and my work has changed so much, so dramatically, because as I'm shooting, I'm digging into my brain to figure out what I'm actually doing so I can convey it to them. I'm an open book with everybody. So I'm just giving it to, I want everybody to have everything. Like if you could do it better than me or the same as me or do whatever to make you a better photographer, um, it's huge for me. So I go into my shoots now with a new vigor, not only to, you know, get the best out of my subject, but just to be like, well, maybe I'll learn something that I could teach people to gain insight into what I do. A lot of people want to like take what I do and, you know, put it in a can and then give you the can, you open it and then you have it. It doesn't work that way. It's a process. Um, but I think that the, the community, you know, it's, it's huge for me. I get, it's, it's everything. And it's just the people showing up that want to do the work. And it's not even like the work and the teaching. It's, it's the people like we just did this. I'm wearing the t-shirt headshot mania too. And we did it in Vegas and we got, it was right before WPPI. How lucky are we that we got through that? Oh my gosh. I'm free. I'm freaking out because it was the biggest show I've ever produced. Um, right. And, and I, COVID kind of exploded the day after WPPI essentially. Exactly. Exactly. So we got through it. But the thing was, is that in, in those scenarios, and especially right now, we're very isolated from everybody and we're, we luck, we're lucky to have technology to bring us together. Um, but when you touch somebody in real life, it's so much different. It's very powerful. So I think I cried every day at that thing <laughs> multiple times. I was just like, I'm an emotional guy and the people, it's so amazing. So when I started, I started in the dark room and I didn't know I I'm self-taught. I didn't know there were teachers out there. I didn't know there was anything to learn. I was just like, you know, trial and error. And, and I was trying, I was modeling. So every time I was the most annoying model on the set, because I would ask everything and I would pay more attention to the photography than I did myself in the clothes and what the job I was supposed to do. And, um, but I would go to the dark room. I, I, I was, what I was doing was I set up a dark room in my mom's basement. So I would work on all the film. I would process the black and white film in my apartment and go out to my mom's basement. And, and eventually it got so much that I was going out there so much cause I was so busy that I found a dark room in the city and it was such a different experience to be processing images next to somebody and talking to them and showing them and doing this and then making friends and then going out and sitting and talking about your work uh, at a bar or something. And we just don't have that anymore being in the digital medium. So headshot crew for me is that I get to talk to these people. I get to see them. We're live three days a week, Mon Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays. And we have an awesome community. And I think the people really value that aspect of it as much as the learning. And that's really important. I agree, especially as we often talk about as photographers, you know, where we are often just people who are working on our own. We're entrepreneurs, self, you know, selfpreneurs, selfpreneurs. That's not a word. Solopreneurs. I love when you make up words. It's great. You do like to make up words. Yeah. Uh, and so 
Um, so, okay, so now I'm going off on a different tangent. Ma- making up words, trademarking words. Talk to me about the squinch, just briefly, because I know a lot of people know about the squinch. But sure. what what did sort of getting this video out there, it's all about the squinch that got millions of views. Like, how did that shift things for you? I was watching that video again on YouTube. Yeah. And it was like... It was so early days, you know? Um, I know. It's so crazy that that, like, those things exploded back then, you know? It was, like, unbelievable. Well, I when I started my career as a photographer, when I was modeling, like, we, I would talk with other models, like, how do you give a cool look? What do you do? And we never could quite figure it out. And I guess instinctually you squinch to look cool. Like if you look at all the celebrities they do, I mean, I guess I knew as a model, if you look at my pictures, most of the time when I looked cool is when I was comfortable with the photographer. So people squinch naturally in life. They just do. So if you get your subject comfortable, you're not going to have to tell them to squinch because they'll be doing it for you. They're not thinking about the camera, but when we're uncertain or we just aren't sure of something, our eyes widen. If we're fearful, our eyes widen. So being in front of camera does that to everybody. So people widen their eyes all the time. It's a natural um, reaction to being in front of a camera and being on display and being recorded and freaking out and feeling, uh, you know, what what am I doing with my face? You can't see your face. So people freak out a little bit. It's a natural reaction to being in front of a camera. So I would always tell people to squint. And I remember it was the word I said it all the time. And I was like, it's not squinting because when people squint, they look squinty, like they're looking in the sun and they're, they're low, their top eyelids and bottom eyelids come together when you squint. And then my daughter said squinch one day or something. I think it was Mia said it. And I was like, what is that? And then I, 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 I found an old video of me doing it and talking squint before we came out with the video all about the squinch. So then I decided, I was like, well, squinch sounds better because you're pinching your lower eyelid up, not your upper lids coming down. So the upper lids could very slightly move down, very little, but the lower lids make a big move. So, and some people, they don't even move their upper lids. I had one plastic surgeon get, watch, it's all about the squinch, and get mad at me and said, no, you can't squinch. You can't do that. Like our upper lids always move. And I have proof of this guy, like a lot of people, I can do it without moving my upper lids. My clients can do it without moving their upper lids. Like the lower lids have to go up. So everybody who's listening to this, go look at yourself in the mirror and just Put your fingers right here on your on your lower lids and touch that muscle and then practice, which you should because you need to ask your clients to do this to convey confidence in the camera, which is what my work is really all about. I want to – it's personal branding stuff. People have to look confident. So I needed them to squinch because they get in with the wide eyes and I'd be like, no, it doesn't fly with me. And then the video went nuts and they had me on Good Morning America and and uh, all this stuff. So it was awesome. It was just awesome. I loved it. I was like eating it all up. So I want to talk about confidence, as you just brought up. You talk a lot about um, you have to be sort of confident behind the camera to make other people confident in terms of, um, you know, a lot of people freak out being in in front of that camera. Uh, So you have, over the years and repetition and all of this, become super confident uh, in, in your skills at directing people. So... I'm curious, are there areas of your life where you're not confident? Love it. Yeah, of course. I mean, anything that I'm not proficient at, I'm not confident at. Confidence is learned. So 
when I first picked up a camera, I wasn't confident. I remember I didn't know how to direct people and I was freaking out. I think photographers get to the end of their rope with their direction really fast. And I was one of them. And I was like, this is the thing. And when I, once I decided that I was like, this is what I'm going to work on. And it's been that for 20 years, it hasn't stopped and it will never stop because I'm never going to master direction. But yeah, in my life, everything else, like if you threw me in a, if I was in an airplane, it was going down. They said, Hey, land this sucker. Like, I'm not going to be confident. I'm like, what are you talking about? I'm not going to be confident. Like, it's anything like that. I think when we think about our lives and we go through it and everybody's got this, if you look at the thing that you're the, you consider yourself in your life, what you've been best at in your entire life. Think about when you started doing that, that whatever that is, you were not confident like you are now. I mean, confidence is learned. And I remember um, when I was studying this stuff with Bob, he has a whole thing on confidence and I met this guy, Brian Tracy, and he had this self-confidence tapes and everything. I listened to all the tapes. I didn't understand it. I was like, why am I? I'm listening to these tapes. I'm not getting confident. And what, what I found was is that you just have to get better at whatever it is you're trying to be confident at, and the confidence will come. So what happens with photography, especially as a portrait photographer, is that we're energetic beings. So when the person is freaked out, is in your presence, and you're with them, and you're not a confident photographer, you just take on their freaking out into your energy and you're freaking out, they're freaking out. It's all internal. Nobody hears what's going on in your brain, but you're both freaking out and your pictures suck. So you're freaking out more, they're freaking out because they might be paying you. And it's just a recipe for disaster. But when that person comes in freaked out, because especially because like in my line of work, they're coming in for a session, like they're coming in, they're paying. They know something's going to occur. They're coming in. They're expecting pictures when they leave. I'm not out on a street corner photographing what's going on in front of me. I'm not a documentary photographer. I'm not like these people are paying and then they get in front of my camera and something needs to occur. So I need to create something from nothing. And that to me, it freaks them out more. If the photographer is not confident, it, it causes that. And then it causes a problem. What happens the opposite is when the photographer knows what they're doing and is confident in their craft and knows how to take that person in that's freaking out and cool them down and be like, hey, we got this, you know, and then gets excited about their work. One of the th main things that photographers don't do enough of, I believe, is they don't give their subject feedback and excitement. That's why shebang came up. Like I yell shebang when I get a good picture because I'm excited. Guess what? The client gets excited and then all of a sudden the it's like the confidence that you have behind the lens drizzles off on your subject and they will learn and they will get confident. That's why if you're good at what you do, when they come in and they're a big pile of mush and freaking out as you take pictures and as you build them up and as you get excited about your work, by the end of the session, there there's like people become more attractive. Their subconscious kicks in like our subconscious knows how to make us the most attractive beings that we could be. Like it just does. We don't walk around thinking about our expression. Could you imagine if we had to worry about that? Like we don't have to like the best smiles you could give somebody are subconsciously driven. Every expression that you made today was subconsciously driven unless you went to the mirror and worked on your squinch like I told you to. But other than that, nobody thought about their expression yet. So our brains got it and we're on autopilot and then we get put in front of a camera and we get autopilot taken off and you're like freaked out. So what happens is, is when you create that comfort level with your subject and the confidence from you drizzles off on them, they forget about the camera. And then when they forget about the camera, guess what? They become more attractive and then you get better pictures. And that's the way it works. I tell everybody, everybody who's asked me one of the biggest questions I get 
is how do you relax your subject in front of the camera? And the answer is simple. You make them forget about the camera. And if you're confident, you can get their brain off the camera. I mean, the best people do it. I've shot with them. Bruce Weber, I never thought about the camera. I never thought once about the camera when I was with that guy. And he took the most beautiful pictures of me that I had my favorite picture ever taken in my life was his. There's so many things that you just talked about, talked about that I want to come back around to. And part of that is beauty. Part of that is uh, the energy between the person and, you know, and, and letting them kind of fall off and then fear and then psychology um, between what the brain is, is thinking about. So right now at this particular time, a lot of people have a lot of fear rightfully so how do you manage and work through fear what do you what do you see fear as i mean i think it depends i think obviously what we're going through is a big difference in the fear this is life and death fear um i'm sure uh hopefully we get beyond this but i'm sure that this is going to affect everybody i mean people already know people that that have been lost um, and that's just crazy to me. So this kind of fear is totally different than the fear of concern for getting a good picture. Like that level of course, of, is, of course, you know, I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, there's levels of fear. So, um, not to be funny about it, but it's, it's really, it's really interesting what we're going through. I mean, it's not interesting. It's mind blowing what we're going through. I mean, I, I was talking to my dad and I was like, in our, in your lifetime, nothing like this has ever happened. Like, and he's. 77 and he's like no and i'm like this is unbelievable that this is global um but at the same time it, it i i guarantee everybody's been able to take a closer look at their lives because of this i mean everybody's thinking about their lives and and what we're doing day to day and you know the things that really matter and what really doesn't matter and you know the relationships that we're in we're stuck with people right now and and i'm like I wouldn't want to be stuck with the anybody else than who I'm stuck with, you know, I'm like, so I'm very fortunate, but, uh, but you know, and at the same time we're missing people and not seeing people that, that we yearn to see. So it's, it's, um, this is scary, but, um, in terms of fear throughout life, if you're not putting yourself in scenarios where you feel that then you're not living life. I don't think, I don't think you're pushing. Like I was petrified of, you know, I just, I'm sitting in this studio right now. I remember being petrified of renting it because the, the fear of, can I afford it? Am I going to be successful? Like, like if I hadn't done that, you know, I, it was, I've been in here since 2008 and it's my second home. Like, I don't feel, I always tell people this. I don't feel like I work. Like, I just don't, this isn't work to me. Like, I don't ever feel like anything I do is work. I just love what I do. So, um, and this is my second home. So when I got quarantined here for two weeks, um, I was okay. I was all right. But, um, I remember having the fear of, of whether I was going to, you know, ante up and get this sucker, you know, it was, it's scary and things like that. Like, um, you know, I think that this, there is a fear for everybody out there of what the future holds for portrait photographers. I make my living as a photographer. My sessions, you know, allow me to have the life I, I have. Fortunately, um, I had moved from being strictly a portrait photographer. A hundred percent of my income only came from when I pressed the button with somebody in front of my camera 
to having, you know, teaching and, and, and other things going on and products and stuff like that. So I feel very fortunate. And I think that everybody on the call should be looking at way and Bob, this is from Bob Proctor as well, uh, having multiple sources of income. So when things like this arise, you know, you're not, if you're a hundred percent solely dependent upon getting that person in front of your camera right now, it's really, really difficult. And it's not going to be the same when we get out of this and we don't know. So the fear of the unknown, I think is what's, you know, grasping people. But I also think that we're at this time in history where we're all reflecting and we've come together as a human race globally to, to try and beat this thing. And I feel like people are more willing to help other people now more than ever. So, you know, like I can't imagine having a call. Like I don't want anybody on this call to lower their rates when we're done with this thing. I can't believe that anybody wouldn't be, if somebody asked me to lower my rate when they call for headshot photography, I will say, are you lowering, you know, your salary or are you, you know, I mean, even now there's going to be a lot of things, a lot of people that are unemployed. And I want to, I want to mention that, um, Tony Tave came up with one of my mentors on the headshot crew came up with an idea and we are, and I haven't announced this yet and he's probably going to shoot me, but, um, we are using the headshot crew. We have 16,000 photographers globally. We have photographers in every state. I have a, over 130, I think, associates that are associated with me. And we are going to do, uh, and we're probably going to keep it in the U.S., but we might make it global. We're going to shoot 10,000 headshots for free of people that were recently unemployed in every state in the country. So that is the plan. I get emotional. That's incredible, Peter. That's incredible. Um, thank you. And wow, I'm getting emotional. I, I, I think that it just that, like you said, everybody is looking as to how they can help people. And we don't always do that in our, in our daily lives. And I hope that that's the silver lining that is going to come out of what is a devastating, devastating global situation. And, and so it's communities like yours. I mean, 10,000 headshots for people who are recently unemployed. That's phenomenal. That's the plan. So we're reaching out to LinkedIn and to, um, uh, indeed. And, um, what is the other one? Zip recruiter. Uh, I've already gotten in contact with some of them and we're working on it and we are going to try and get some, some help out there for people that need some personal branding shots for them to go out and get new jobs. But I, I, I think that that's, that's what this, that's like, I mean, that's what I could do. I built the network. We've got the photographers. I've got access to good people. I know we can do it. I know everybody would want to do it. Um, and I'm going to need, a bunch of photographers. So you guys on Headshot Crew, you know I'm coming. That was going to be my next question. Just where can people, where should people be looking at your social media in uh, in terms of to find out whether there's somebody that would love to have a, a headshot because they are recently unemployed? Yeah. Uh, We're going to do a, some sort of campaign for it. But if you go to headshotcrew.com and do the find a photographer search, it'll start there. Um, 
people in the we have 16,000 on the site. It is actually if they if they're not a paying member of the headshot crew then they don't get into our photographer search. So if somebody searches their area, it's going to show the closest photographer to that area. However, I'm going to go on the back end and see which photographers are there. And I'm also opening up April for a free trial month for anybody who wants to uh, get into that photographer search and get in on this. They can sign up for Headshot Crew for free. They can. I also put it in a newsletter where we're giving away. Canon's been really supportive of me and what I'm doing. So we have two Canon Pro 1000 printers that we're doing contests on, which is like a $1,300 printer. I mean, it's amazing, that kind of stuff. So once the once we get, I'm going to go state by state and we're going to figure out all the photographers and I'm going to get the numbers of what they can what they can handle. Uh, and then we'll put it out there to to the public and see. And I, Tony's probably just cringing right now if he's listening to this because he's we have just started this process. We're not even in the I didn't think I was going to bring it up, but it's a good platform to tell the photographers that that's what we've got in mind. Um, and the goal, yeah, there's going to be a headshots shot in every state of the country, uh, until we get to 10,000 and we don't know if we're going to try and do it in one day or if we're just going to try and do it. And it, I, I think we could pull it off in one day potentially, but it's, I mean, maybe two days. I don't know. I, I know in New York, I, I, how many people I could shoot in a day. I mean, I'd be happy to do a hundred in a day. So we need a hundred photographers to shoot a hundred. I think that'd be a little aggressive for one day. But um, maybe we open it up globally to the 16,000 photographers and everybody just shoots one, you know, I don't know, figure it out. Well, that's, you'll figure it out. And, and again, uh, crew have compassion for yourselves to, <laughs> this is not happening tomorrow, <laughs> yeah. uh, but, but um you know, and of course, safety first for well, everyone involved. Yeah, it's yeah. obviously not happening till this thing dies down exactly. and we figure out. The good thing is, is that as headshot photographers, I'm like, just lengthen your lens. You can be 10 feet away. Yeah. You can be, I'm six feet. I'm usually about six. I shoot about 92 millimeters, which is about six feet from my subject. So I'm okay. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. There's been like cool people doing family portraits from a distance, you know, from the street and the family comes out to their front yard or whatever, you know, yeah, people yeah, are yeah, getting yeah. really, uh, really creative with, with what everyone's doing right now. Uh, that's incredible. Um, I want to uh, jump back a little bit. You know, you, you are an emotional guy and oh I love that gosh. about you. I, just <laughs> I love that about you. <laughs> um, I rewatched your TEDx talk last night. Oh, I cried at the end of that one too you cried the at the end of area. that one no <laughs> it's your your ability to be vulnerable is what connects people to you uh like you said all over the world so it is um to me that is a hugely uh positive aspect of your personality and and who you are uh, so Briefly, the 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 TEDx talk, which was TEDx Cambridge, people can Google that and and go watch it. But it was all about this sort of the the psychology of you know, people walking around and and not being confident about who they are and what they look like. Um, talk to me about what the response was to that talk, and again, like what you walked away with from the experience. I mean, it was amazing. Well, first of all, just to get asked to do a TEDx talk blew my mind. I mean, I, like I said before, I was, I went to, did I say I went to BU and then I 
I was on, not on this call that. yet. Oh, okay. Well, anyway, I went to Boston University and I was like on the five-year plan. Like I almost failed out. They made me go to night school. And then I graduated. I didn't know what I was going to do. And like 20 years later, I get asked to do a talk, a TEDx talk at MIT. I was like, shebang. I was just psyched to go to MIT and do this. It was like a big deal for me because I was like, the smart kids are over at MIT. I mean, I guess there's smart people at BU, but I wasn't one of them. I didn't feel like one of them. Um, but, you know, the main thing about that was that for my entire career, I've struggled with people's perception of themselves. So I could take a beautiful picture, look at it. It would be beautiful. And they would be like, oh, 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 my gosh, I can't look at that. And I'm like, how do I do my job? I mean, how do we do our job? I mean, it's just it's tough. So I met this psychologist who I put through the process and she was like, this is crazy. We're on to something. So when they asked me to do the TEDx talk, actually, Rick Byrne, got, who's a photographer up in Boston, uh, had a friend who and he and he said, hey, this guy's really interesting. You should. She was doing the picking the speakers. So she called me and I was like, yeah, she's like, well, would you do a talk? And I was like, well, the coolest thing I have going on right now is this, I thought, which was this. We had created a business. It was called Cyphotology and everything. And um, and she's like, OK, so that was what the talk was about. So Ann and I did it and we started working together with companies and and digging into people's like how people it was really, really interesting. And then we just went separate directions completely. I was concentrating on my photography and she went off another direction. So unfortunately, I and I don't know, I don't know why I was ready to like try and dive into this. So um, lo and behold, that was that TEDx talk was like, what, 2015 or something? Maybe 2014, I think 2014. Yeah. So I had a client that I shot 10 years ago as a psychologist here in in Manhattan who had a, we were like fighting with each other during the session, which I don't remember. She's like, you don't remember, do you? And I was like, no, I was like, and she was one of the ones that has a really hard time looking at herself. So she saw that talk and she's like, why aren't you doing this? And I said, well, it was just timing and the psychologist and I didn't. And she's like, I want to do it with you. So we started a new company called headshot therapy. So we're starting it again. We started working with customer with clients and, and it was, it's amazing because I was like, it's such a huge thing how we feel about our appearance. And for me, there's always been, it's always been like this, this stopping point of, of it. When I have to rack my brain on something, it's on this. Like, how does that person walk around thinking that they're not attractive? I've shot two Miss Universes. One told me she couldn't stand her face. And the other one told me that she didn't think she was pretty. And she was just thrust into this machine. And then she ended up and we're really good friends. And I said, we have to do a talk. So I probably will do a talk with her as well um, on that. But that's the thing. So I was listening. This sounds really kind of gross, but it's so true. I was listening to this, uh, this podcast that, that a friend sent me the other day and this guy was talking about how we feel about our appearance and that, and he said, we're all walking around in meat bags and we just, and, and yes, and like, we were worried about the way it, our meat bag looks. And I was like, that's so true. It's so weird and creepy, but it's like, that's, it's like, like in the, in the, just of what we're going through on a global scale right now. Like, where's your appearance fit on this thing? Like, I don't think I looked at my class. I haven't pulled a piece of wardrobe out of there. Like I'm throwing on a t-shirt. I, I call these my, my COVID-19 jeans. I've worn them every day for a month. I just haven't done anything. Like, I don't even care what this, the whole operation and I've gained a ton of weight. I don't, I'm like not, you know, thinking about that at all. But when we, some people put this, 
appearance thing at such a high and look it's getting even dark it's raining it's like crazy anyway um and i do have lights but i didn't set them up what can you do it's all right it's all right right. it's all right but the anyway so so they put this appearance thing so high on their list of priorities that it affects them throughout their life in such a ridiculous way and i'm trying to get people to understand that you did not choose what you look like like you were born and thrown into this planet and you get to roam the surface of the planet of the earth in this meat bag for the rest of your life and for lack of a better term i think i gotta come up with something other than that but this guy his name's mark grove i think i don't know i, I should find out um but uh i found it very interesting and it was the first thing that that made me realize that this is something that people really have to wrap their brains around because you know Obviously. So how do you how do you connect with your own inner beauty? Because really it comes down to yes, we're we are in this body in this particular lifetime and like you said we're we we can put on makeup and do our hair and all of that but the the minus plastic surgery uh, we are who we are. Yeah, um, and people and, and so, are doing that, you know? So and, but and so, I get so it. how do how how do you personally when you're when you're if and when you're not feeling your best like what what tools do you have that like bring you back to like oh no i'm you know i'm i'm a good person i'm a worthy person yeah i think i think that's the question cuz it's going to be different for everybody so everybody's got a different opinion of themselves and what's going to break through for for one person isn't going to be what breaks through for another i remember when i was modeling and i would be in these rooms with all these good looking guys i mean if you're with an agent in new york generally you're pretty damn good looking so you'd sit in this room with a bunch of good looking guys i'd be like i'm never gonna get look at this guy this guy's amazing look that guy's got a great smile like i got nothing here what's going on and because i was on the chopping block every day and then i got out of modeling picked up a camera and you know started shooting and now i get in front of a camera and i like being in front of the camera and i like my look and i felt stronger and more secure in my looks just because i accepted what it was and i wasn't on the chopping block i've Honestly, I thank my parents because this is all, you know, they gave it to me, you know, what are you, what are you going to do? But so I feel good about my appearance, but everybody is, 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 is different. I mean, that's the other thing is that I have identical twin daughters and they look completely different to me. So I think you have to go into your uniqueness. You have to understand that you are the sole being on this planet that looks like you. And there is somebody that loves every inch of it. Like there's people out there that are dying for every inch of what you've got. And, uh, you know, and I think that we have to remember that it, to be happy in life, you're not going to change it. And, and like you said, some people do go to, to extremes to change it. And, um, I feel really dark right now. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I, well, the, the long version or the, uh, of this will be audio only. One of the versions of this will be audio only. So people won't, be seeing how dark you are in the moment. <laughs> um, I, I, going back to that though, so there's there's one thing that is um, ha- feeling confident that other people uh, will love every inch of you. Okay, Peter has gone to get oh, some, here. some more I'm lights. Here. I just want to give myself more light. Sorry. No, I love it. <clears throat> so th- there's one thing with uh, coming to sort of an acceptance that that other people um 
love every inch of your body, but then there's, um, there's, and not just your physical body, but who you are as a person, but then there's the, I believe that you've got to love yourself first before other people, you know, before you let other people in. Absolutely. Um, But I think in a, in a, and you have to love the way you look first mm -hmm. probably too. Right. So I always say, where does this happen? So I've never had a 10 year old walk into my studio and go, geez, I wish I'd lost the 10 pounds before we should for the shoot. You know, you never have that. I never, and I never had anybody walk in and go, Peter, this is your lucky day. Uh, my hair is perfect. My, my skin is flawless. I got enough sleep. I don't have any bags in my, under my eyes. So we live in this fault-based society, which is what Anna got into in our TEDx talk. So what happens is we're trained from birth to see our faults first. So that has to come from a from our family, like culturally, we need to shift and we need to understand. I have been drilling into my daughters about their beauty and that it's a gift and that they got they got the best of me and my wife, I believe. I, I think my daughters are stunning and they and are. They them, are beautiful. I want them to feel like that. You know, I want them to not fall into this societal trap of of you know appearance being put on a pedestal is something that we can't be happy with. Like I, it's just really, really strange in our society that it's such a huge thing and that so many people have, have trouble with this, you know, and then some people, it's interesting when you get them in front of the camera, they just don't care. Some people don't care at all. Like some people are just like, yeah, whatever, take the picture. It's be good. Uh, and some people are like, I love the way I look, take my picture, take my picture, take my picture. And it's so, um, heartwarming when you get that person that really it's just such a different experience because they're the the population of people that are like that is so small are you a regular journaler is that something you do no i have i have a journal that um i've had since i started the process of of personal development with bob proctor and i and i i it's the same one and I actually, when I was training for the Olympics, I wrote in it and I, I was working with Milt Campbell, who was the, he won the decathlon in 1956 and he started training me. He made me write in it every day and he made me write like a, a gazillion times, like spend hours just writing that I was going to be the gold medalist and stuff and visualizing that while I was writing. So I started there and then what I've done is, and this is part of the thing about the accountability, I'm, I've never, everybody's like, oh, you should get more into the personal development speaking and stuff. And I was like, are you kidding me? I'm like a mess. I'm like, I'll go, I'll go for it and and accomplish a bunch of stuff for a, a really long time. And I'll be great for like six months or a year. And I'll be like doing everything and so positive and everything. And then for six months or a year, I'll be a disaster area and not keeping myself accountable and not knowing what the heck goal I'm going for and be, you know, it's like, I'm human. It's like, I just can't, I just, it's not always perfect, you know? So, so my journal is like, you, there'll be five, like, I bet you if I looked in it, I don't have it here. It's at the, uh, I had it here when I was, um, in quarantine, but, um, Oh no, I didn't. Yeah. Yeah. I made my wife put it out and she was making me dinner and putting it out in the hall and I had her put it out in the hall so I could get it. And, um, anyway, uh, there'll be gaps of six months, year to a year or, or two years or even three years or four years in it. But it's like this thick and it's, and, and I've had it for 20 years. So I still 
write little things in it as I go. And, and this time period made me pick it up and start writing again. Well, I think it's a, a beautiful practice. I haven't journaled for a very long time. <laughs> so it is something I've been thinking about. And um, what whatever kind of uh, writing you're doing, it actually is also, uh, you were you're talking earlier about the brain and the subconscious and how, you know, we're normally not aware of what we're looking like. Well, also writing creates new neural pathways from the brain and you get things out on paper that you might not otherwise be able to say, or you don't even realize that you're thinking. Um, so a super important practice that I would like to come back to for myself. Yeah, I found it. I like when I do it. I just have to get myself to do it. Like I actually, I think I'm going to make a, a goal for myself after I do wake up and goals in the morning, I'm going to do my journal. There All right. So what's, what's your new hashtag for that? Oh, I don't know. You got to come I, up with one. You, I, uh, should journal, should I don't know. <laughs> okay. Peter, Final question. There's a ton of people that are watching uh, this live. Thank you guys so much for tuning in live. Uh, um, and a lot of them are from the Headshot crew or are not. Uh, once again, you can be watching this on creativelive.com slash TV. Uh, we've had a ton of activity in the chat room. And thanks to those Headshot crew folks who are in there and are letting people know. Some people are asking, like, what is the Headshot crew? Blah, blah, blah. So people are answering them. Thank you for that. People want to get involved in um, in the uh, project that you're going to be putting out there uh, about giving away free headshots to people who um, are recently unemployed. Um, so once again, thank you guys to all of that participation. But for people who are, are not as familiar with Shebang, where did that come from? <laughs> what is it? And let's let's get everybody who doesn't know Shebang to know Shebang. Okay. Okay. So... Um... I have had, I've said this word. Shebang. Um, <laughs> oh, wait, look what it did. It hit, I hit shebang and it screwed up my screen again. It'll come back. So. That was your oh own my, shebang button. Look at that. Yeah, that was my own shebang button and I hit it and it, and it, the screen's all messed up now. Anyway, um, you see these things happen. So I, uh, I was, I was shooting a client and I have the actual video and I was saying sh sh boom or something. I don't know what I said. And then I said shebang when I got a good picture. And then what happened was I said the shebang and then I started saying it whenever I got a good picture. And then I put out the video. It's all about the jawline. So if you haven't seen, it's all about the jaw. It's all about the squinch. Those are the two big ones, um, that I put out there and, um, I put it, out and in that there's a definitive moment where there's a shebang and that created everything because that video's got like four million views i think and then and then i had to go all over the place and yell shebang wherever i was going and then i got sick of it and i stopped and then people said no that's your brand you have to yell shebang you can't not yell shebang so i had to bring it back and yell shebang so shebang is a, a characteristic attribute or trait that an image possesses that produces a visceral gut reaction of approval in the artist who upon taking it and and in at the 
top of their voice, they yell shebang after seeing the image on their screen. I have the actual definition somewhere, but that's basically it. So I always tell people I yell shebang when I get a when I get a good image, which in turn I'm always photographing a person. So they get excited or they're like, this guy's nuts or he's excited or whatever it is. And I always tell people, feel free to use shebang if you want to yell at the top of your lungs when you're shooting or just the bottom line is, is that you have to be excited about the work you're doing. So you have to give this subject feedback. And my feedback is I would yell shebang. And I still do on occasion when I get really excited or some people come in and they know I yell shebang and they're like, you haven't, where's the shebang? You haven't shebang the entire session. What's going on? And I was like, oh no, I really created something. So you need something as a photographer to excite your client to the fact that you're excited. If you're not excited, how the heck is anybody gonna get excited in front of your camera? So whatever it is, you could be like, yeah, I don't care. But something to be like, that shot's amazing, or look at the back of your camera. Well, you should be shooting tethered, so you look at your computer. But if you're not tethered, look at the back of your camera, get excited so that they can feed off that excitement that you have for your own work. I love it. I love it so much. I got a shebang when you recently photographed me, which I was so excited about at WPPI. <laughs> I was in the right place at the right time. You did. Um, Peter, thank you so much for everything that you do um, for the world of photography, for the community of photography, um, whether that's the headshot crew or, or not. I mean, there's just, you exude this positivity um, that is just makes people smile and wow. squinch. Yeah. <laughs> uh, where, where, where can people find you, follow you, um, learn more about everything that you're doing? Well, I am uh, headshotcrew.com is the coaching site where I do all my coaching so that they can find me. If they want to see my work, they could check out peterhurley.com. And I, I'm very active on Instagram. It's peter underscore Hurley is my Instagram handle. And uh, I also have a Facebook group called uh, Peter Hurley's Headshot Group if they want to join there. And I just do updates as to what I'm up to and what's going on. And like right now, we're doing the free trial for Headshot Crew for people if they want to get into it and check it out. And we've got two competitions going on this month, which are sponsored by Canon, and they're giving away Pro 1000 printers. So it's very exciting. And um, we're really loving it. We are doing – we are live three days a week coaching people and it's a very vibrant community, as you can see from the people that are in here that are watching. Thanks, guys, for being on. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Kenna and Creative Live, for having me. I love this. It's been so long since I've been in Seattle, and, and I love doing working with you. You know that. And doing those classes and everything was so huge for me, and, and it really helped me get the word out on on my my message, which which really is about photographers directing their subject in a way that makes the subject behave in front of you so that you can capture a subconsciously driven expression and make them really proud of the pictures that you, that you take of them. That's what it's all about for me. I love it so much. Can we uh, go out with a shebang? We've got to go out with a shebang. You ready? All right. Three, yep. two, one, shebang! Shebang! I'm Kenna Klosterman, and you've been listening to the We Are Photographers podcast from Creative Live. We originally recorded this episode live on creativelive.com slash TV. That's our new live stream to inspire, entertain, and connect us all during these quarantine times. Follow all things Peter Hurley at peterhurley.com and headshotcrew.com. 
At Creative Live, we believe there's a creator and a photographer in all of us. And yes, that means you. If you're looking to get fresh perspectives, inspiration, or skills to boost your hobbies, business, or life, head over to creativelive.com and check out the Creator Pass. That's our subscription that gives you access to over 1,500 classes taught by the world's top creators and entrepreneurs. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review We Are Photographers wherever you listen to podcasts. We would love to hear from you. You can stay up to date with everything happening at Creative Live by following us on social media at Creative Live everywhere. And connect with me. I'm at Kenna Klosterman on Instagram and at Kenna K Photo on Twitter. Send me a message so we can connect. And if you like this episode, tell someone about it. Word of mouth is our best way for us to reach more creators just like you. Thank you again to Peter Hurley. And I'll see you all next week for another episode of We Are Photographers.